You are listening to a sermon series entitled, The Lord is My Shepherd, Studies from Psalm 23. Today's message will be delivered in two shorter meditations, the first by Mal Utley on Psalm 23, verse 5, and the second by Pastor John Boulay on Psalm 23, verse 6. But I give you control, consume me from the inside I want to talk to you a little bit first today about Moldova. Uh, John asked that I do this and then sort of phase into uh, thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies and anointest my head with oil. We'll see if we can do that. I want to just run through some, a report from our recent trip to Moldova. We got back on uh, November the 1st and uh, were there for about two weeks. This is a ministry that's been going on uh, to some degree since 1995, but more specifically, this ministry since 2001. Uh, you see where Moldova is, to the north and to the east is Ukraine, and to the southwest is Romania. And you're familiar with the rest of Europe. On to the next uh, slide. Um, this is the purpose of our ministry there. Uh, we, we look for ways to establish churches when we started going to Moldova in 1995, there were uh, about 100 and uh, well, about 200 churches. The Moldovans are very zealous for the Lord. Now there are over 500. There are 1,500 villages and towns in Moldova, and uh, they have a goal to put a church or evangelical ministry of some kind in every village and town. So you see, they've got a ways to go yet, but they're working at it. What would have happened in this country had we increased our number of churches at the same rate that they've done so since 1991 when they received their freedom from the Soviet Union? Um, but the purpose is to go to villages where there are no churches and have clinics and have an evangelistic service and draw people to those clinics and evangelistic services who would not otherwise go to an evangelical church. And it works. And so that's why we continue this ministry. Next slide. Average cost for medicine at these clinics is $7 per person. You can hardly buy Tylenol here for $7. You get a little bitty bottle, you can. But there, Tylenol, aspirin, things like that are uh, valued because they're expensive. The average, a good salary in Moldova is $300 a month. Many of us spend that much in a day just on frivolous things. Uh, so their economy is not quite as good as ours. It's the poorest country in Europe. Uh, next slide. The clinics are funded by you and me. Um, this last year, uh, Delaware Baptist provided $12,000, which just about covers the cost of the medicine for about 1,600 patients. Next slide. Uh, $1,355 was given by this church in addition to probably... Uh, Another seven or eight hundred dollars that that was sent to Delaware Association and didn't go through your tre treasury from this church. That was medicine for two hundred and eight patients. Next slide. We use Moldovan doctors, nurses, drivers, and translators, and their salaries are paid by team members. We pay for the airfare. We pay for uh, these doctors and nurses and drivers and translators. Uh, we pay for the transportation. The money you give 
goes strictly for medicine. Next slide. Uh, this year we had 28 clinics, 14 clinics in Ukraine, 28 in Moldova, 14 in the Ukraine, and we saw approximately 1,600 patients. We still don't have all the, the numbers in because uh, the pastor missionaries haven't had a chance to meet together yet to bring their numbers together. Uh, one half of these patients were not believers. One of the things that we do, the way we manage these clinics is that we give out tickets to each of the uh, little churches or the Bible studies in the villages where we want to start churches. And the people in those churches are to invite others, those who are not believers, to come to the clinics. And typically about half of these t tickets are used for non-believers. Many believers don't come to the clinic because they want to give their ticket to someone who does not believe. Uh, next slide. This is the first church at which we had a clinic this year. This is in Ukraine. Uh, the next slide shows you the picture of Ukrainian doctor who is, has been working with us now for about four years. The next slide is a picture of his wife who became convicted when she was working at an abortion clinic that it was wrong and it was because of a certain sequence of events in her life that led her to come to know Jesus. Next slide. This is uh, a group of pastor missionaries. They, these guys start out as deacons. And in Moldova... Uh, you're expected, if you're going to be a deacon, to learn to preach, to te have, teach Bible studies, and to plant churches. That would be a good strategy here, John, wouldn't it? Uh, now, deacons don't leave. It's, that's not going to happen today, probably. But, uh, um, but uh, the next slide also is a picture of these uh, pastor missionaries, these men who were deacons who, who pastor these small village churches. Next slide. Now we get to the sermon part. You've been talking about sheep and shepherds for this last month. This is a picture of Moldovan shepherd and, um, and his sheep. It's quite a common picture uh, as you drive up and down the roads in Moldova that are not very good. Uh, one of the challenges for a driver, and the reason I'm glad I don't drive in Moldova, is because... The potholes are numerous. Um, when you find a stretch of road that doesn't have potholes, uh, you feel everybody sort of, you know, breathing a sigh of relief. Uh, it would be a great country for chiropractors because uh, actually you're worn out from, from the, for just riding from one place to the other, uh, swerving, missing potholes and hitting potholes. And um, I'm tempted to say something about redistribution of um, wealth, but I'm not going to. But uh, I'd like to have about an hour to tell you about the communist system and what it did to the people emotionally, mentally, spiritually, and what it does to you economically. But I won't do that today. But um, I was thinking, as John was preaching about going through the valley of the shadow of death, or was that Rick that took that verse? I think it was Rick. And I was thinking, uh, as we rode down the road one day and came upon a shepherd, and he was standing over in the field taking care of his sheep, talking on a cell phone. Things changed a lot 
we first started going to Moldova, there were no cell phones. Uh, you couldn't communicate through computers either, but now we email, we fax, we do all of those things. And then I was thinking that the valley of the shadow of death for some of you and Moldovans is when there's no cell phone signal. You can't communicate, you can't text, and that's a terrible thing, I understand. But uh, God is faithful, and that's what the 23rd Psalm is all about. God is faithful to us. He's going to be faithful to you no matter where you are, what circumstances you're in, or uh, how terrible or how good things might get. Now, the verse that John wanted me to look at today is, Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. A lot of times, we American Christians do not think in terms of having enemies. But let me convince you of something. If you have a ministry, it's got enemies. If you're a believer, you've got enemies. If you're a church, you've got enemies. If you're a pastor, you've got enemies in and outside the church. Fortunately, in this church, the enemies inside are few and far between. Uh, this is a great church. Uh, you don't know how... I have a great sense of pride coming back here. And when, when Rick was here and he's still here and John... Uh, John was 15 when I came to be the pastor here. And to, to see how God has blessed this church with its own people is just an excitement that's hard to contain, really. But God is faithful. Now, but we still have enemies. He has, he's faithful with the enemies. The shepherd prepares a table in the presence of the flock's enemies. The enemy wants the flock to be weak. The enemy wants us to starve spiritually. And some of us are spiritually hungry today because we don't feast at this table very often. The enemy wants us to be impotent. He doesn't want us to reproduce. And unfortunately, there are many churches today who are not reproducing. Now, this is a statistic that we can't brag about as Southern Baptists, but approximately half of our churches did not baptize more than five people last year. Fortunately, half of them did more than that. The enemy is constantly watching the flock to look for vulnerability. <clears throat> the enemy wants to keep us away from the green pastures. He wants to keep us away from feeding on God's Word, from feeding on worship, from feeding on the fellowship that we enjoy together. And even though the shepherd knows the enemy is ever-present, the shepherd prepares a table with food that meets our every need, no matter how aggressive the enemy becomes. I want to tell you about how God supplies need. Uh, last year we went to a little village, uh, its name is Shalveri Veki. Uh, the Moldovans themselves says it's at the end of the world. Uh, it probably could... Uh, challenge the Guinness Book of Records for the most potholes on the road into this village. It, it was really at the backside of nowhere in Moldova. But when we arrived there, we, we pulled up in front of this home. I saw all of their furniture sitting outside. We went inside and the living room was completely 
free of their furniture. It was outside. They had gone up and down the street and borrowed chairs to bring and put in that living room so we could have a service and have a clinic. I preached. We had a service. They started the clinic, and one of the Moldovan men came up to me, and he said uh, something that I did not clearly understand, so I got the translator. says, I want you to go somewhere with me. So we walked about 200 yards up the street, and there was a house over on the right, and he says, come on with me. And so I followed him, along with the translator, and they showed us through the house, and it didn't take me long to pick up on what what was happening here. He was trying to interest me in purchasing this house for their house of prayer. That's what they call a church building in Moldova, house of prayer. Well, this isn't the first time this happened to me. We've purchased probably six, eight village houses in Moldova to serve as a house of prayer, maybe more than that. I sort of lost count. And other, as other teams go and come, they, they do that too. But you can buy a village house anywhere from three or four thousand dollars to uh, maybe eight or ten thousand dollars in Moldova. That's uh, less than closing costs on most of our homes. But uh, we looked at it. It looked like a nice home. They said they wanted eight thousand dollars. I came back to the United States and I was down at Seaford, Delaware, sharing our ministry from last year. And uh, as I was showing my slides, I just went through it quickly. I said, this is Shalveri Vecchi and uh, this is a house they like to buy for their house of prayer. Went on to the next slide. I didn't stop there. I didn't talk about it much because there were a lot of slides to show. And if you go if you do missionary work, you've got to show slides. Some of you have seen some of the missionary slides, I can tell. But um, after the service, this fellow comes up to me. He says, I want to buy that house. I said, okay. He says, how much is it? $8,000. Says, when do you want your money? Soon as possible. He went to our Delaware Baptist Association office the next week, gave him a check for eight thousand dollars. We wired it to Moldova, and now they're worshiping in this house. Show the next slide. There it is. Now it didn't look that good, but the Moldovans are craftsmen, especially with concrete. They don't have a lot of lumber in Moldova; or it's very expensive. But they do wonderful things with concrete. Uh, the next slide. Uh, and this is a picture of these folks worshiping. Now, this is how God prepares a table in the presence of enemies. The Eastern Orthodox Church does not want an evangelical church in this village. I don't have time to tell you the history behind Eastern Orthodox Church, the Communist Party. I mean, it it's, goes back for several hundred years. But there's opposition to evangelical work at least in most villages. So there's opposition. There's no money in Moldova because they're very poor. But the shepherd sets a table in the presence of enemies. Now the second part of this passage is that our heads can be anointed with oil. Now if you know anything about sheep, uh, and most of us don't, except from pictures we show in sermons and maybe uh, something we see on public television. Uh, but sheep have a lot of problems. That's the reason they need a shepherd. But one of the problems they have is with parasites in their head, and I'm not, it gets gross, so I'm not going to go into that. 
but one of the things they used to do back even in David's time is prepare a mixture, a concoction of oil and spices and just cover the sheep's head and the parasites seem to not like this and the mosquitoes and the flies and all that sort of thing stay, would stay away from the sheep. Basically, it's talking about protection <clears throat> and it's talking about taking care of sheep that are not healthy. Uh, sheep could be driven to distraction in the summertime with flies and mosquitoes and the parasites that infest their eyes and nostrils and, well, I promised I wasn't going to talk about that. But they, they even will run off a cliff to get away to get away from the parasites. They'll drown themselves to get away from the parasites. They're that bad. And sometimes as Christians, we may even leave the church because the spiritual parasites are so bad. The attacks are so bad. Our own spiritual uh, growth seems to wane. Uh, we just have our spiritual problems. Uh, maybe people haven't supported us like they need to support us. Uh, there hasn't been the encouragement we need. Maybe we've overcommitted ourselves. There are all sorts of parasites for the Christian life. But the shepherd anoints our heads with oil. There is a rest in Christ that comes with that anointing. There's an encouragement from Christ that comes with that anointing. He anoints our heads with oil. This morning... This morning, what are the parasites in your life? Do you need a fresh, special anointing? Have you eaten from the table that the shepherd has prepared for you in the presence of your enemies? And I'm going to talk to you about my grandfather this morning, <clears throat> who is in every way uh, my hero. And so I warned the earlier crowd that I may get all sappy and uh, sorry. But uh, one thing about my grandfather is I, I got to know him and I fell in love with him at a distance because I hardly ever saw him, maybe once a year, uh, but oftentimes less than that. And so the stories and the way that I belong to my grandfather and that he belongs to me is from things I've heard and from the very few treasured times where I sat on his lap and he told me stories. And so I don't know if what I'm telling you is fully accurate. Uh, I don't care. Um, it's my memory. Don't go to my parents and say, now, is that exactly true? I don't want to know. I, I, this is the grandfather that I know, and, and so this is the one you're going to hear about. Don't burst my bubble. But this is who he is. My grandfather grew up in southern Louisiana during the Great Depression. He was dirt poor, uneducated, and he only spoke French. So he was uh, the classic Louisiana Cajun, which is kind of a bygone culture, or it's uh, going extinct as we speak. But he grew up in a dirt floor hut. He hunted to eat. Uh, he was in every way a man's man, and then when the Lord called him, he became in every way God's man. But I would hear stories that people would tell me that he, he could call geese and ducks with his own mouth. He did not need a, a duck call. He had gotten so good at it. And he could put two shots in a double-barrel shotgun and take two birds down. And he would always, when I'd sit, 
he would always do this with his old wizened hands. He'd go, when you tell me that story. And he's good. His brother was just like him in many ways. His brother ended up becoming the warden of one of the most prestigious hunting reserves in the world in Louisiana and recorded the largest alligator kill in the history of Louisiana at 14 and a half feet. And so they were two peas in a pod in that kind of way. My grandfather was short and stocky, and he was a tough guy because since elementary school, he was pulled out of school to work in the rice fields. And so before the Lord called him, he was the town wrestler. And there's stories of one day him meeting the other town wrestler from some bygone town, you know, and he broke the guy's leg. That was my grandfather, which is awesome. (laughs) But he grew up in a hard world. He had a lot of brothers and sisters. They were all poor. And then Christ showed up. And this man who was this man's man, when Christ entered his life, totally sold his life out for Jesus in every way. He gave everything he had to Jesus. He ministered for 50 years. There's still this small, by the world standard, certainly an inconsequential church in Abbeville, Louisiana, that he founded with the Lord's help that it continues today to minister to people. But my grandfather, they, were, they would pray for food at times because they would run out of food. They would pray for healing because they didn't have money for medical expenses. They were poor, but they loved Jesus. And the town saw it. And he grew up preaching during a time and in a town where in southern Louisiana, if you did not speak English or did not know Latin, you could not hear about Jesus because it was almost exclusively Catholic. And so him not, being in, not knowing English at the time and people around him not knowing English at the time, when he found Jesus, he started preaching the gospel of Christ in French. And so that whole area south of I-10 started to hear the gospel for the first time ever. And eventually he got a little radio station and he would preach on the weekends in French the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm told by distant relatives that there were times even when the, the rice farms would shut down and they would gather the workers from the fields to come sit by the truck and listen to my grandfather preach. That was their break. Because he was like them and he loved Jesus, and everybody knew it. So that's who he is. I'm sure I'll blab about him as the years go on. But he's my hero. But the thing about him is, all I ever knew about him, because by the, by the time he entered my life, by the time I was cognitive, you know, three or four years old, my grandfather was old. And I mean old in a sickly way. That when you're hauling rice bales at 10, you're going to die young. And so is my first memories of him, he had a pacemaker. He had had a heart attack before I was even born. He had a pacemaker. In every memory I have of him, there is a wheelchair or a walker because his knees were so bad. Every time we were at his house, it was a 12 and a half acre farm, so they had the big bell in the back to ring to call the farmers in. We could not ring it during his nap. That's when I was five. I watch my kids. They, my dad doesn't nap when they're over. And I realize now, my, my grandfather was old. He was old. His hands were old, like the big workman's hands. By the time I was in high school, my grandfather had almost passed. He had kidney failure. That's what he died from. And, and I'm up here. <clears throat> my family was up here at the time in Delaware. And 
So he kind of passed with us at a distance. But I'll never forget hearing on the phone or through conversations with my mom and her mother that his last words, these last words of this dying man were these, the Lord is my shepherd. Now, I don't, I, if my memory serves right, he did not finish the 23rd Psalm. His wife finished it for him at his bedside. But as I've been meditating on the 23rd Psalm all month, I have found myself asking at times, how is it that a man who had nothing would say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want on his deathbed. He was born poor. He never made any money from preaching. He never had his health. He gave everything he had. He's dying of kidney failure. His body's full of toxins. He drinks eight glasses of water a day and chicken broth. And he says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. Certainly he was not lying in green pastures. It was a hospital bed and a World War II auctioned off barracks built home. Certainly he was not beside quiet waters. He needed nurses to help him even go to the bathroom. Certainly there was not this feast prepared before him. It was those little calendar, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, medical pill things. That's what he died with. I think the answer as to why a man like that could pray, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want, is found not in Psalm 23, verse 1, but in Psalm 23, verse 6, which says this, Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The reason my grandfather started praying, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want, is not because he had the possessions that you and I think of wanting, but because he was this far away from eternal presence with Jesus Christ. That's why my grandfather prayed that. He prayed that because not wanting for a Christian is embracing eternal life. It's embracing what Christ has given us. Is it possible for Christians, brothers and sisters, for us to have eternal life and to ever be in want? What can you want if you have eternal life? What can this world have to offer us if we have the eternal life of Jesus. If you by faith believe that Jesus Christ came to earth, was died, and was resurrected for the salvation of your sins, if you believe that this very day he sits at the right hand of the Father and petitions on your behalf and mediates on your behalf and is your advocate before the Holy Father, what can your want be? How much more blessing do you need? I think material possessions, apart from Christ, are diversions. If we want the things we have, the, the power, the beauty, the health, the objects, the influence, if we do not embrace them as, as in the guise of worshiping the source from where they come, they are stumbling blocks to truth, and you will always want more. But if you worship the God behind them, you will never be in want. I lament 
I'm thinking about this. I lament the ways sometimes that I speak with the word blessing. Because it's not incorrect, but it's not fully correct. I'll say to you that I feel blessed because I have four beautiful, healthy children. Which is true. I feel blessed. I feel rich among men. But is that to suggest to you that if I did not have four beautiful, healthy young children, I would not be blessed? I say to you that I am blessed because I have a beautiful house and a wonderful wife and a good job and I can provide for my family. Is that to suggest to you that if I did not have those things, I would not be blessed? Can a Christian ever not be blessed? You and I are blessed because we can read Psalm 23, verse 6, which says, Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Psalm 23 ends with the same quiet confidence that it begins. The Lord is my shepherd. I will dwell with him forever. You cannot pray Psalm 23, verse 1, if you cannot pray Psalm 23, verse 6. And that's why my grandfather died with those words on his lips. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in one. You praise everlasting.